Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, your go-to source for all things movies, spoiler-free movie reviews, interviews with directors and actors, and movie topics galore. My name is Movie Mike, a.k.a. Mike Distro, and on this episode, I want to determine what the best single year in movies is. I have a big old list of movies from all different years to see if I can find out which one really had the best movies. And then I want to talk about whether or not we should remake foreign films to fit American audiences. All that on this episode. Thanks for being subscribed to the podcast. And a special shout out to anybody listening on a Monday, which is release day. If you start out your week with this podcast, this episode especially is for you. Without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. What was the greatest single year in movie history? That is what I hope to find the answer to by the end of this segment. And I just kind of went online and researched a bunch of different years and what movies that I would say people refer to the most. And sometimes we don't even do it intentionally. We just talk about our favorite movies. But when you kind of break down the years of some of those, you can kind of see some years were better than others. I would argue the past year for movies, probably not that great. And that's coming from a guy who does a movie podcast where... I have to go on and, you know, watch all the new movies. And I think this past year, it was a little bit more of a struggle because so many movies are just getting held on to and waiting for a better release date that I don't think the best stuff came out last year. So looking at some of these years, I'll talk about some of the biggest movies to come out of that year. And I think I'm going to make a case for what I consider to be the best year in movies. Again, this is coming from a guy who was born in the 90s, grew up, really kind of identified with a bunch of things in the 2000s. But in the last, I would say, 10 years or so is really where I kind of full on have developed my love of film and reviewing and talking about movies. So I think the last 30 years for me, really, 
are where I kind of set all my movie parameters. So don't hate on me for movies I leave out from the 80s and 70s and even 60s and even like the golden age of Hollywood in the 30s. I know those movies. I'm aware of those movies. I've seen the big movies from those years, but I don't think coming on here and talking about 1939 Hollywood's golden year is going to be really reflective of me as a person or even what I really know. Now, the thing I get annoyed about, and I'll kind of rant on this before I get to the rest of this episode, whenever you're passionate about something or you're growing up in a certain era, I think you have to learn about the things that have come before you. And I've always made it a point, whether it be in music, especially in movies, but also in TV. And I think just because I was born in the 90s, that doesn't mean I'm not going to go back to the 80s and watch the big movies from that year or even the 70s. I think it's always important to learn about all the movies that came before you because not only do those movies end up getting remade, but you can also see some similarities and you got to learn the history about movies. So I don't think that somebody born now is shouldn't go back and watch some of the classics. And, you know, <laughs> I, that kind of holds a little bit hesitation in me, like to have kids someday and be like, man, I'm going to look back on like the movies that came out in the 2010s. And they're going to be like, I've never heard of those. I don't want to watch those. I think we owe it to ourselves to go back and learn. So I don't think being born in a certain decade eliminates you from having to learn about history is all I'm getting at. But again, I also know that your formative years of when you're first watching things and finding out your taste and what you like, a lot of the things you watch when you were younger are going to be the things you hold closer to your heart. So that's a lot of the reason why I like the mid 90s stuff and the early 2000s stuff. So that's where my kind of, I guess, bias would lean to. So if that comes out by the end of this segment, just know I am well aware of my bias, but I'm also got to talk about what I know. But if you wanted to make a case for 1939, which is dubbed the golden year of Hollywood, I wouldn't really call it that. I think we've had many golden years, but it's the year where Gone with the Wind came out. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. A lot of these older, really just classic movies. And while that is an important year in movie history, I really don't think anybody goes back and calls any of these movies their favorites. If I went over to somebody's house and they put on Gone with the Wind to hang out, like I, I would not be friends with that person. I would leave that party immediately. Like Nobody would do that. And I still don't even think like real movie fans would sit down and watch Gone with the Wind or The Wizard of Oz. I think those movies stand as kind of a relic in Hollywood. They're great to kind of refer to and learn about how they were made and just how different things were back then especially when it comes to The Wizard of Oz and all the unethical things that happened during that movie. But even when that movie came out, it wasn't really a box office success. But what that year has kind of stood for and what it represents, I get it. But I don't think that makes it the greatest movie year of all time. Another year before my time that I would argue is 1982, which is what I would say was really kind of the birth or at least the best instance of the box office summer season. Like that's my favorite season. And it's been a little bit skewed in the past year. And I don't think it'll be back in full effect. But in 1982, this is really when like CGI was kind of still in the early developments. But at that time, it was really cool with movies like Tron. You got Blade Runner. You got Fast Times at Richmond High. But most importantly, you have E.T. So when it comes to a lot of the classics, I think 82 has a pretty good case for itself. And I think this is where my bias comes in and saying that it was maybe nine, 10 years before my time. And while it has a lot of classics and was an important year, I don't think it's quite the best. Well, fast forward now into the next decade into 1999, which I think delivered 
a lot of modern day classics. You get movies like The Matrix. You get Toy Story 2. You get The Iron Giant, Office Space, Galaxy Quest. And then you get some horror movies like The Blair Witch Project, The Sixth Sense. And then also just some cult classics like Fight Club. That's a, it's a, it's a really strong year. And what I really remember most about 1999, I'm about nine years old at the time. And I think this is really when going to the movies for my brain and in my life kind of like solidified it was an actual event. And in 1999, when these movies came out, I just really remember tuning into like Cisco and Ebert. And this is when I was really tuned into watching movie reviews and learning about movies that way. Because I was probably eight years old in 1999 and I really wasn't into going to the movies yet. My parents didn't really have the money to take me. So I would watch things like Cisco and Ebert to kind of feel like I at least got a little bit out of the movie, even though I wasn't getting to watch it. I was at least getting to know more about it than the trailer and whether or not it was good or not, or I was really missing out on anything. I think sometimes I would hear the reviews and be like, all right, I didn't really miss out on that. I don't feel as bad. And what I also liked about 1999 was that it was kind of, I mean, it was the year was important for a lot of reasons. It was right around the turn of the millennium. And I felt like we were all feeling like we were about to get into the future. And we were going to see things that we saw in like 90s movies. And then back in the 80s movies kind of become like start to come true. And we're starting to see like more futuristic things. I don't think it really got that way immediately. But I feel like 1999 was almost closing out those really kind of like box office seasons for movies. I mean, a couple years before 97, Titanic setting the record. I feel like this was really, at least in my life, the height of when people wanted to go to the movies right before the Internet hit in the 2000s. So and also DVDs really weren't a thing yet until the 2000s. So how we would watch new movies was really all encompassing by going to the movies. So I could almost make a case for 1999, but I still don't think it was the best. The year is 1994, and I was only three years old at the time. And let me just start first with the top 10 highest grossing films of 1994 of all time. And this will just kind of set the stage of why it was such a big year and why with these 10 films alone really shuts out, in my opinion, any other year. At number one, you have The Lion King. And number two, you have Forrest Gump. And number three, True Lies. Number four, The Mask. Five, Speed. And then rounding up the top ten, you have six, The Flintstones. Seven, Dumb and Dumber. Eight, Four Weddings and a Funeral. At number nine, Interview with a Vampire. And at number ten, Clear and Present Danger with Harrison Ford. Now that top ten alone, I feel like a very hard year to compete with just by the numbers. That just by the numbers, those are the highest grossing movies. Not only in that year, but some of these of would probably make the all-time list. I mean, Disney has The Lion King alone, which that's their biggest, highest-grossing movie of all time. Forrest Gump, one of the, not only the highest at the box office, but just overall what that movie is made and what that movie means, one of the biggest of all time, and won the Oscar for Best Picture. I mean, just looking at the Best Picture category alone is Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and Shawshank Redemption. I mean, that is some tough competition. So those are just the highest-grossing and the Best Picture nominees. 1994, I would say, was probably the best year for Jim Carrey. Just in 1994, he had The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Really the year that made him a star, and he was able to charge so much more for movies. I'd say close second would be Tom Hanks because of Forrest Gump, and that being basically the movie that has been the milestone of his career. And then you get into other movies that I just feel like maybe didn't have the most 
success at the box office, but looking back to think that all these other movies that I'm about to list here all came out in this year. Going through the list, just this page that I made from some of my favorites from the year. You got Blank Check, My Girl 2, which is not as good as My Girl, but still a solid pick. Eight seconds. You got D2, The Mighty Ducks, Leprechaun 2, Three Ninjas Kick Back. Need I say more about Three Ninjas and that whole time for movies. The Crow, The Flintstones, Speed, Angels in the Outfield, The Jungle Book, Beverly Hills Cop 3. I mean, we could keep going here. It's just incredible the amount of movies here. Above the Rim with Tupac, Airheads, an underrated Adam Sandler movie. In the Army now, you talk about Pauly Shore and how important he was to the 90s. The Little Giants, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, The Page Master, and The Santa Claus all came out in 1994. So I think critically and by the numbers, the greatest year is 1994. But stacking up all these movies, I just think there's one more year that has it beat. But I think it's one... That's a little bit more personal to me for kind of forming really when I was deciding that, man, like I want to watch these type of movies for the rest of my life. And the year is 2007. And like I was talking about in, you know, in 1999, we weren't really getting into DVDs yet. And I think it was maybe 2001, 2002 when I even had my first DVD player. We got like the, the second or third generation of DVD players. And I remember it being the greatest thing ever. And I'll explain why. And I don't think it's being unethical now. And maybe even if you're younger and listening to this, you don't even remember this time for movies. But this came the time where somebody could get a copy of a movie and burn you a DVD. Now, that statement may make sense to you, but if you're in Gen Z, that makes absolutely no sense. And I'll describe it now, what the process of burning either a DVD or a CD, which it happened a couple ways, how people would bootleg these DVDs. You either, one, went into a movie theater with a video camera and filmed a movie and then later went home and took that footage, used a computer to load up the file and then just sit there and burn DVDs and then sell those for two bucks or a buck, however much you wanted to spend. Or it was going online and downloading an illegal file, placing that on a DVD, slapping on a label and selling those. Or it was just straight up going to Walmart, buying the DVD and just going home making a copy. Either way, this is when it really became, I feel like, the most important way for me to afford movies. I was in high school at the time and I had a friend who well, that's all he would do and that's how he would get movies. So my brother and I literally had a big old giant case of with those little sleeves that you would put CDs in full of DVDs and movies. And it just so happened to be in 2007 when all these great movies were coming out, I was finally able to watch them all. Movies like No Country for Old Men, which is still in my top 10 movies of all time. There Will Be Blood, Juno, even Spider-Man 3, which is probably the worst Spider-Man 3, but when it came out, we didn't know it was going to be that bad. Into the Wild, Transformers... Harry Potter 5, The Order of the Phoenix. I Am Legend, which was probably one of the best movies I saw in 2007. And then you also have some really great comedies from Knocked Up to Superbad, Hot Rod, Reno 911, the movie, and for me, The Simpsons movie. Now, that was actually one that I paid to go see in theaters. I did not take an illegal DVD for that. And I am a huge Simpsons fan. I think I've based my comedies writing off of The Simpsons. I've based a lot of my personality off The Simpsons. If you hang out with me in the real world, at some point I am probably dropping a Simpsons line and you don't even know it because it's just built into my vocabulary. And when The Simpsons movie came out, 
totally changed my world. Going to see that in theaters was a magical experience for me because it was taking a show that I had loved and watched so many times just at home on the TV and going into a theater and experiencing that feeling with a bunch of people and seeing it on the big screen really changed me. And there was also just so much great promotion around that movie from the 7-Elevens changing to Quickie Marts, all the products that came out during that year. I think that in itself makes 2007 one of my favorite years in movies. Then you also have movies like Ratatouille, Shrek the Third, 300. And overall, I just think this year kind of solidified my love of movies. And since 2007, I think that's really when I got into watching the Oscars and paying attention to all the best picture movies. And I think that's really where my taste now that I have started to form. If it would not have been for 2007, I would not be here doing this podcast today. That is how important that year was to me. So now it's time to make the final decision. If I had to save one year in movies, would I save 1994 or would I save 2007? And while by the numbers and on paper, I would argue that 1994 was more of a historical impact. You would say 1994, but for me, if I had to save a year, I would save 2007. I think that is the best year, in my opinion, for movies. If I ever get to the point where I'm so rickety and bothered by the way things have changed and I say they don't make movies like they used to, I would look back on 2007 more. If I had to save more movies, I would pick more movies from 2007. If I go sit down and watch a movie now and I'm just browsing through, want to watch something that makes me feel kind of like I'm watching something familiar, making me watch something that I know and love, I'm probably picking something from 2007. I'm going to sit down and watch Juno. I'm going to watch Superbad, or I'm going to watch Knocked Up, or even No Country for Old Men. Those movies just hold such a special part in my heart. And love them or hate them, I even love the Michael Bay Transformers movies. So what I say is the best year for movies, I go with 2007. Make a record of it. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, 
and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into now a movie review. I want to talk about the movie Nobody starring Bob Odenkirk, who you probably know as Saul from Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad. Really a guy that I kind of look up to in a way, and I'll explain that, but I feel like the trailer from this movie is a little bit misleading. While it is an action crime movie, I think they make it a little bit darker than the movie was because it has some heart. So I want to talk about all of that in this movie, but before I get into that, here's just a little bit of the trailer, which I think you should also go check out before watching this movie too to get a better feel of the violence because I can describe that in a certain way, but seeing it... It'll make you realize if this is the movie for you. But before we get into that, here we go. I work for some very dangerous people. I used to be what they call an auditor. The last guy anyone wants to see at their door. Because it meant you didn't have long to live. But I left it behind to start a family. I might have... uh overcorrected so i'll start there because i say that because i know some people have a different level of how much violence they like in a movie i like it when they just go on full commit to straight on intense violence if that's what they're going for if you're going for that high level of violence and you want to just show that in the movie i say go all in none of that half in between stuff and i think that this movie goes for that it's kind of in the same sense of like the john wick movies just senseless brutal killing um throughout pretty much the entire movie once it gets going so if you're into that i think this is probably the perfect movie for you now while i think the trailer is a little bit misleading is it makes it seem like a very dark and like serious crime movie but i think at the heart of this movie it's really a story about a guy trying to live a normal life when he has a really dark past so the overall premise of this, and again, I always do spoiler-free reviews. I don't reveal any plot points that you wouldn't get from the trailer. I just give overall an analysis of the movie and just some ideas and thoughts of mine that I had while watching it that I think would motivate you to go see it or not. In this case, I do think you should see this movie. It's about this guy who had a dark past, and he was working at what he called was an auditor on all of the three-letter agencies. So like the FBI, CIA, they hired him. He worked for them for 12 years, and he would go, and pretty much if you saw him, you knew you were going to die. He would go after very serious criminals, 
and is overall a dude you do not want to mess with, but he gets out of that game and decides he wants to go start a family. He's living basically a simple life, him and his wife and his two kids living in a house. And what is described in the movie is basically a suburban neighborhood. And you get all of that from the movie title called Nobody. He went from being this crazy trained killer to just being a nobody you go through his monday through friday routine over and over again it's kind of the same day but he likes it that way that's what he wanted but that all kind of changes when these people rob his house they break in attack his son he really does nothing because he doesn't want to revert back to that life but something in the movie motivates him to go track down these people and kind of seek revenge in the middle of that, he gets tied up with another group of men and becomes the target for this really big drug lord. And that's kind of the premise of this movie. Kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time type of thing. And then in all that, he kind of is like, all right, I'm going to have to go back to this life for just a little bit and do what I don't really want to do, but I'm now being forced to do. And I love the way he did it. Because the thing about Bob Odenkirk is he portrays this character so well of just being a normal guy but it's also very believable how intense he is and how he can just take down these people using all of his skills using all these weapons and what i feel that you don't really get in the trailer is what he is going through internally and what is going on in his brain while he's doing this it's not just mindless senseless killing it kind of has a little bit of heart at the very bottom of it which if you've been listening to my podcast for a while now, you know I love a good movie that has some heart in it, especially when it has such a kind of polar opposite of being this guy who just has no remorse for the things he is doing, has no sympathy for any of his people that are getting in his way, but he's also doing, doing it for a reason. He's trying to live a normal life and have a family and have his kids respect him and have his wife, you know, want to be with him. And at the end of the day, that's really all he is fighting for, that kind of normal life, just being a quote-unquote nobody. And I think why I found this movie so kind of interesting and engaging while I'm watching it is what if we all had that kind of moment that just kind of, you know, something clicks in our brains and it forces us to be in that kind of fight-or-flight moment. And he does it so well and is able to execute his plan and is just so convincing throughout the entire movie. And I really credit it to Bob Odenkirk, who I haven't really seen in a leading role like this. And he is a guy that I really respect because I remember him mostly as a writer back in the day on Saturday Night Live. I remember seeing interviews with like Chris Farley talking about some of the sketches, like the Down by the River sketch. Bob Odenkirk wrote that sketch and he is just really has a career that I would almost want to completely model. While Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul have made him more of a recognizable face, a little bit more of a household name, you would probably know his face more than you know his actual name, but you would see him on the screen and you recognize him. He is just so beloved for his writing and his comedic abilities that that's, a, that's the kind of career I would aspire to have too. And now having this success in this movie of kind of showing what he can do in this capacity, I was really kind of inspired by it. So at the end of the movie, I felt like I got everything out of this kind of action-style drama that I wanted. And the most beautiful thing is I was kind of looking for a nice palate cleanser. I've been on a kick of watching all these Oscar movies, and I just wanted to watch something to kind of not only turn my brain off and not be completely just disengaged while watching, but also something that kept me and my attention throughout the entire movie and at an hour and a half that's i think what i love the most about it an hour and a half everything you needed in this type of movie it executed it perfectly had a pretty good cast some cameos in there that i won't ruin 
but also his dad in the movie is Christopher Lloyd from the Back to the Future movies, which I thought was a great touch. So everything from the action to the cinematic stylings to the soundtrack in there, there's some very kind of, I feel like hand-selected songs that they pick to fit his character that I think play off pretty well in the movie. And I would easily give this movie four out of five gunshot wounds. Yeah, we'll go with that. And I can, I, I would rate it higher, but I know it's not for everybody. Like Kelsey watched just a little bit of this movie with me and she was like, what are you watching? This is so brutal and violent. Like I, I can't stand it. So I totally get that. So that's why I give it the four out of five rating. But if you do want to go see this movie, it is still available in some theaters. But if you want to watch it at home, it is that 20 buck rental fee. I think it's worth it if you're watching it with somebody else who might enjoy it. I think it's totally worthwhile. If you like movies like John Wick or you love Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, you won't be disappointed by this one. So I was just going to bring this up in movie news, but I decided to make a bit of a topic about it. Because I thought this was interesting. Now, if you listen to my Oscar special last week, I talked about a movie called Another Round which one for best foreign film and the movie it's a danish movie so you have to watch it all in subtitles but it's available on hulu and it's the last movie i watched leading up to the oscars thought it was fantastic it's basically like the reverse coming of age movie it's this danish guy who's a teacher and he's basically going through a midlife crisis and trying to get back that youthful kind of energy he had with his friends partying and drinking and it just leads into utter chaos. But it was, it's a really great movie. And I was so excited that I had just watched the movie and then it went on to win an Oscar. And I hope now more people go and watch it. But the story that came out was that now is that it's going to be remade and adapted into an American version after Leonardo DiCaprio's production company bought the rights to the movie. And he is rumored to be starring in it. Hasn't really been announced yet. But a lot of people were kind of upset about this, and I was trying to think of how I landed on the subject. Because why I don't think remakes are totally bad. I think people get upset a lot about like, oh, why can't they make anything original? But some movies, you don't even realize they're remakes, and sometimes they're done better than the original. So I, I can get behind that. I think if somebody has a stylistic approach to give life to a story that has already been made, I'm not against the movie being remade, especially if it was done so long ago. Or it was done on a lower budget. What I get kind of annoyed by more is them rebooting a bunch of the same franchises over and over. And that gets kind of annoying. Where it feels more like they're just trying to cash off of a name and do those movies again and again. Those are the remakes that I really get burnt out and bummed out by. But where I kind of have a problem with this is kind of Americanizing these foreign films. I remember feeling this way when I saw Parasite. That I wondered how long it would take before they kind of made and took the rights to this movie and gave it an American, you know, version of it. And I think that movie is so perfect in the way that you have to experience it like they made that movie. You have to watch it with the subtitles to really understand it and to really get the full effect of it, of why it is such a cutting-edge movie and something so kind of captivating and original. It could only be done in that way. I would not go watch an American remake of Parasite. And I think these movies are truly just works of art and should be appreciated in the way they were already made. There's nothing wrong with these movies. Just because they're not in the language you're familiar with or that you know, it doesn't mean you shouldn't go watch this original movie and wait for the American version. What I think should happen is these movies should really kind of bleed into more of American culture. Like movies like this should be nominated for Best Picture. That is the reason why when Parasite won last year, it was such a big deal and never been done before. I think we need to work more on breaking down these barriers of just enjoying 
movies the way they were made already. We don't need to fit them to different audiences. So that brings me back to, and going back to why they would be remaking another round with Leonardo DiCaprio, I just don't really see how that story could be told any differently. So without ruining that movie, he has got into a really boring part in his life. There's nothing exciting happening. He even says to his wife and he's like, am I just completely boring now? He tries to spice things up by hanging out with his friends and they try to incorporate as much alcohol into their body while still being functional members of society and having their jobs. They have fun, but then kind of realize that eh, this probably isn't going to work. And I think it's the storytelling in this movie combined with this cast and the fact that you don't know the language and you're reading the subtitles, but still getting all of the emotions of the movie is why I think it was powerful, not only to Danish audiences, but also to American audiences and why it won the Oscar. Now, you take all the things that made this movie great in its own piece of art, strip that out just so you can put an American twist on it, put Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't think it's the same movie. I think you're just kind of taking the success and the name and the screenplay and you're going to make a whole entirely different movie. Kind of giving Leonardo this success story and having that American twist on it. But I just think it's too quick. Like literally just won the Oscar and you want to buy up the rights and, you know, begin production or start making this movie. Maybe 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line is when I think that movie needs to be made. What I'm trying to say is that I don't think because a movie has subtitles means we all can enjoy that movie. And if you leave... From one thing of listening to this podcast is don't be afraid to watch a movie with subtitles. If it's a really great movie, the subtitles won't even matter. And after you watch the movie, I think you take so much more out of it because you are really hyper-focused and paying attention to the movie because you're reading along and then watching the action. But what I find so exciting about these movies is that I take away a different level of emotion and you feel it's so much more invested with watching a movie this way because if it's a good movie, none of those emotions and none of those feelings will be lost. And I think you even get more of the message because it's almost like when one of your senses is down, the other one become heightened. So you're not able to audibly take in all the things they're saying and what they mean, but you see it more represented on the screen and by reading it. It has a different effect. When I watched Parasite like that, it affected me differently than I thought it would. And I think the director of Parasite said it best. Once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films. All that to say is another round does not need a remake with Leonardo DiCaprio. I love him as an actor. I love him as a producer. But Leo, that's not it. All right, so I think I will leave it there. That's kind of movie news turned into a whole rant of its own. But I do want to encourage you guys to listen to an episode you've maybe missed of the podcast. Last week, I was talking about movie crossovers. Also did a whole bonus episode on the Oscars. So if you missed those and want to go back and kind of learn about those and the movies from that, I really go into depth on those episodes. So if you want to go back and listen to those two, they're right there for you on the feed. And then also encourage you to next week listen to the episode because I will have director John Lee Hancock on who just directed The Little Things, which came out earlier this year, but he also directed The Blind Side, Saving Mr. Banks, The Alamo, and The Rookie. So I'm excited to talk to him, not only about what it was like directing Jared Leto, Denzel Washington, and Rami Malek, but also just what exactly a director does. Like a, like a, one day in the life of a director, I think that's what I want to talk to him about. And also about The Blind Side. I want to know just like how much you 
take from the real story and how much you kind of have to quote unquote Hollywood up. So I'll see if you'll answer those questions for me. So wherever you're listening to this now, make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're following along so you get brand new episodes every single Monday. Before I hop out of here, I got to give my shout out of the week. I do this to anybody who sends me a tweet at Mike Distro, a DM on Instagram, a comment on my Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash Mike Distro, or an email over at moviemikeD at gmail.com. And this was actually a tweet that made my day from Miss Danny G. And the tweet says, I told Mr. Mario underscore G, which is her husband, I want to watch the new Mortal Kombat. And he asked, what did Mike D rate it? Hashtag moviemike. And I think the reason that made my day is because I realize I come on here every single week and rate a movie. And I just give you my opinions on the movie and whether I think you would like it or not based on if you've liked other movies what you would like and i try to not lead you in the wrong direction and i just think it's awesome for everybody listening that you take what i say into consideration where you're going to spend your time on and watch later so that meant a lot to me and if anybody else listening you know takes my advice or my recommendations on what to watch just know that means a lot to me and i don't want to let you down and give you a bad recommendation So I do put a lot of thought into these reviews and I also try very hard not to spoil everything, which believe me, doing a podcast reviewing movies gets hard. I have to sometimes control myself on being excited about movies and not giving things away, but hopefully I've done a good job at that. I've been doing this podcast for over a year and a half now and it really means a lot to me to be able to get on here and talk about something I'm passionate about. I'm glad all you guys have stuck around listening every single monday if you listen on release day or just anytime you're listening seriously thank you so much hope you have a great rest of your week and until next monday when i talk to you again later every family has an origin story one passed down through the generations mine happens to be a mystery involving my great great grandmother left behind in sicily I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.